support for I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere comes from MX Publishing, with the largest catalog of new Sherlock Holmes books in the world. New novels, biographies, graphic novels, and short story collections about Sherlock Holmes. Find them at mxpublishing.com. And by the Wessex Press, the premier publisher of books about Sherlock Holmes and his world. Find them online at wessexpress.com. And from listeners like you, who support us through Patreon. Bonus material, thank you gifts, and more await at patreon.com slash I Hear of Sherlock. I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, episode 247, Big Finish. I hear of Sherlock everywhere since you became astronomer. In a world where it's always 1895, comes I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, a podcast for devotees of Mr. Sherlock Holmes, the world's first unofficial consulting detective. I've heard of you before. You're Holmes the meddler, Holmes the busybody, Holmes the Scotland Yard jacket office. <laughs> the game's afoot as we discuss goings-on in the world of Sherlock Holmes enthusiasts, the bigger streeter regulars, and popular culture related to the great detective. As we go to press, sensational developments have been reported. So join your hosts, Scott Monty and Burke Walder, as they talk about what's new in the world of Sherlock Holmes. You couldn't have come at a better time! Well, hello there, and welcome to I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast for Sherlock Holmes devotees where it's always 1895. I'm Scott Monty. I'm Bert Walder. And Bert, are, are you ready for a big finish today? Oh, I'm, so, I'm def, definitely ready for a big finish. I'm standing on the diving board. I've got my flip-flops on, my <laughs> snorkel, my goggles. Uh, you know, I just hope the crowd applauds. Uh, fantastic, fantastic. Well, we're finished, so you can go home. <laughs> That's fine. Okay, good. Where's the sunblock? Wait a minute. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to uh, sharing this interview with you, with Jonathan Barnes and Nicholas Briggs. Uh, we really had a wonderful time speaking with the two of them. And what we may do for our Patreon supporters, if you're good to us, and you are, uh, we will release the video version of this interview uh, after a little editing magic um, as a special release. So there is still time. If you're not a Patreon supporter of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, just get over to patreon.com slash I Hear of Sherlock or just click that Patreon link in the show notes that are available here on whatever platform you're listening to us on and support the show. A dollar a month, three dollars a month, five, ten, whatever works for you. We do have some thank you gifts at the higher end that we send out, uh, just as a little incentive, as a way to, to uh, show our appreciation. And we are building towards more transcripts. We're looking to go through uh, the the uh, episodes from this year, get all of these transcripts up and running, thanks to your generosity. And uh, fortunately, uh, I think we have a little bit to go through some of our back catalog as well so stay tuned for that and of course support our sponsors as they are here we'll hear their uh, sponsorship spots throughout the show uh, if you frequent them tell them that you heard about them through i hear of sherlock everywhere it helps them and it helps the show mm-hmm. 
Well, today we are very pleased to be joined by two personalities from Big Finish Productions. Big Finish is a production company, a publisher, and a distributor. They produce CDs and downloads and books, and uh, they're probably best known for their Doctor Who series of full-cast audio dramas and spin-offs, but they also produce a wide range of other series, including, of course, Sherlock Holmes. Jonathan Barnes is a writer, and he's been contributing regularly to the Big Finish Sherlock Holmes range since 2012, beginning with The Adventure of the Perfidious Mariner and penning over 20 hours of stories since then. Jonathan is a lifelong Holmes fan, and his journalism has appeared in the Times Literary Supplement, the Literary Review, and The Critic. As J.S. Barnes, his most recent novels are Dracula's Child and The City of Dr. Moreau. Nicholas Briggs is an English actor, writer, director, sound designer, and composer. He's associated with the BBC science fiction television series Doctor Who and its spin-offs, particularly as the voice of the Daleks and the Cybermen in the 21st Century series. He's also the executive producer of Big Finish Productions, where he's produced, directed, and written several audio plays, as well as acting in many of them. Outside the realm of science fiction, Briggs has appeared on stage at Nottingham's Theatre Royal since 1997, including a run as Sherlock Holmes in Holmes and the Ripper by Brian Clemens and The Hound of the Baskervilles, adapted by Briggs himself. And we're about to speak with him about his portrayal as Sherlock Holmes in the latest Big Finish production. Nick and Jonathan, welcome to I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. Well, hello. <laughs> hello. hello. I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say something else, but I'll, I'll leave uh, the, the, the first hello to you. So why don't we begin the way we begin with all of our guests? And Jonathan, we'll start with you. How did you first meet Sherlock Holmes? Right. How did I first meet Sherlock Holmes? Yes. Well, this is something I've said elsewhere before, really. And I, I wish I had a more kind of, a, you know, um, intellectual looking story for this. Um, but I don't know. Um, I met Holmes originally through Basil the Great Mouse Detective, that very underrated Disney film. It came out. I've worked this out. I think I was seven, something like that. Saw it at the cinema went home, wanted to read more. My dad had the um, the complete short stories on his shelf. And I remember him saying to me, you do realise these won't be about the mouse, don't you? And I said, obviously, because I was a very precocious <laughs> child. Um, started reading the short stories. Pretty much, literally, I think, started with A Scandal in Bohemia and went forwards from there. Um, not getting all of it, obviously, but loving what um, what I did understand. And yeah, that was the start of my kind of love affair, I guess, with Holmes. It's a, it's a valiant and, and heroic start, no question. Uh, Nick, what about you? I'm not, I've got a couple of theories, but I'm not quite <laughs> sure because it's like one of those things that you feel you've always known about, you know, like Doctor Who, which is, you know, my, my other great passion. Um, uh, a while ago, uh, I attended a... Uh, an event quite a few years ago now, an event in the Houses of Parliament 
where the Sherlock Holmes Society of Britain, or I'm maybe getting the name wrong, um, uh, had a big gala dinner to which uh, I somehow got invited just to, to sit down and eat, not to do anything significant. And um, Stephen Moffat was making uh, a, a speech, uh, who I, I know Stephen very well, and um, he was extremely entertaining. But when he talked about how he uh, got to know about uh, Sherlock Holmes, it suddenly struck me I don't know whether it's because I just thought it was a good answer, but I thought, I think that might be the same for me. And bizarrely, it was it was either through seeing uh, the, the movie with Robert um, Stevens in, you know, um, uh, Private, Private, Private Lives, Lives of yeah. Sherlock Holmes. And sort of, which is bizarre because, of course, it's an odd, scandalous take on Holmes and not the traditional thing. Or it might have been Murder by Decree with Christopher Plummer and James Mason as Holmes and Watson, but it was certainly through a film that I became aware. And then I remember I started to notice that there were Sherlock Holmes seasons on BBC One and they'd have the Basil Rathbone films. I, I love the way he said Watson with a slight <laughs> American tinge on the, the on the Watson, you know. Um, uh, and then I suppose I was always on the lookout. There was something about it that really appealed to me and I, not least because there are, and it's a scandalous thing to say, I know, great similarities between Sherlock Holmes and the Doctor in Doctor Who, in that I think a lot of Doctor Who writers have consciously or otherwise, otherwise stolen from Sherlock Holmes with the otherness of the character of the Doctor, the person who seems to stand outside normal uh, earthly emotional concerns and has an intellect above and beyond everyone else's. I think that that is as I say, unconsciously or not, a direct steal from Sherlock Holmes. And that the audience, so for the audience of Doctor Who, they were already kind of familiar because everyone, as I say, kind of knows about Sherlock Holmes anyway, whether they know how they do or not. So, yes, but I only really started reading the stories when um, when asked, when I needed to do so for uh, work reasons. So for adapting and for other people adapting, uh, which, you know, I felt, yeah, when I have time, I shall go back and read more. But I always feel like a little bit of an imposter, because I'm. Um, I, I realise what it's like. To, this is a very long answer, and I'll shut up very soon. Uh, I realise what it's like that when I've interviewed lots of Doctor Who celebrities over the years, and when you go to interview them, they get very nervous because they they feel like it's an exam, and they might get the answers wrong, and. <laughs> You know what I mean? They 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 get very nervy and they feel like, I, don't ask me about Doctor Who. I don't. And I say, no, it's not about gauging how much you know about Doctor Who. And I did a, a speech presentation, whatever it was, to a, a Sherlock Holmes society of one form or another in London once. And I said this, you know, they insisted I did a presentation as opposed to an interview, which I preferred doing even though obviously it feels now like I'm doing a presentation. I, <laughs> I said to them, you know, this is, this is how I worried about tonight. I said, so it isn't an exam, is, is it? There aren't going to be any questions. And they all just stared at me. And I thought, and then I said, there are going to be questions. You are, it is an exam. <laughs> I, was, I, I got myself intimidated by, through the, their lack of answer to that question. Well, then how, Stephen, did you, did you, um, because you've played Holmes, you know, obviously. Yes. Nick, Except, not Stephen. Uh, Nick, sorry. <laughs> um, 
I've got Moffat on the brain, I suppose. Well, yeah, I introduced him into the conversation. Yeah. yeah. But that's, you, that's you, a known uh, disease, by the way, Bert Moffat. Uh, Moffat on the brain. On the brain. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I have resonance where my brains ought to be. But um, <laughs> you but you played Holmes, you know, yes. on stage and, and obviously audio. So how did what was the what was the path for you to get over, um, you know, your sense of the character and actually bring the character to life? Um, I, the first time I played Holmes was for the um, there was a, a fringe production in London at a, a, a theater under a pub called the Drayton Court Theater, I think it was called. And uh, a friend of mine, Ken Bentley, who's since worked for Big Finish doing a lot of directing, um, asked me, he wasn't a friend then, he, he was a friend of a friend, and he asked me to play Sherlock Holmes in the, um, uh, the play by Conan Doyle, the, um, the, sort of the Speckled Band. Is it called The Stoner Case, the play? Is that right? Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. Well remembered, yeah. yeah. I think and uh so uh yeah he was doing it with a lot of uh, recent graduates from a particular drama school i can't remember which and a friend of his said you know he said i need someone you know with a bit more experience to come and be a proper sherlock holmes and he said you want my mate nick briggs he'll be brilliant at it and he loves sherlock holmes and he loves that kind of stuff and so yeah uh he he, he got me into do it and i think that's when i read the short story as well um and from there, I always had it in mind, uh, you know, to carry, to find other ways of playing Sherlock Holmes. And then I got to play it in some other theatre stuff. And then it was through doing the uh, Holmes and the Ripper adaptation. Well, it's, uh, the Holmes and the Ripper play written by Brian Clemens. I met Brian. He came to see the show, bless him, because his son Sam was in it. I think that was a condition of him letting the producer have the rights to give his, his son a job. That's not even a joke. That is the truth. Um, I think I think the producer, Colin McIntyre, the late, great Colin McIntyre, asked for a discount. And he said, all right, if if you give Sam a job, he's just he's just stopped working for the RSC and he needs a job. Uh, and after one of the performances, I spoke to Brian about the rights and he said, um, yeah. And I said, well, obviously, my people will speak to your people. We go, no, no, that's it. The deal's done. He said, <laughs> you know, he said, it's all it's all cream off the top now. He said, you know, I've, I've earned my money from this. And he was very matter of fact about it. And so we got it going pretty quickly. And then that sort of gave me the idea that we could maybe do some more. So I got other writers on board. And it wasn't until I made a connection with Jonathan when um, he Jonathan, tell, tell them about how we uh, met. About how we met? What, the first mm. time or, or the second well, time? Well, the first time and how it relates to the second time. Well, yeah, I mean, I came in just after all of this had happened, didn't I? I came into um, starting to do bits and bobs of work for Big Finish after this, including the great big fantastic sounding dinner at the Houses of Parliament, which I must have missed by um, a matter of months. But there we go. <laughs> I'll let it go. Um, no... I've told I've sort of told this story before such so not really a story even is it um no I came along to big finish day to speak to um to, to come along to the day which is like a sort of convention we should say isn't it for fans of, yes. of big finish productions um people that like all of their their audio dramas but I had met Nick some years before in as Doyle would say the old century um the 20th century um as a 
convention, science fiction convention. Um, I'm from Norfolk, which is fairly sort of a little bit isolated and, and windswept. And there was particularly isolated and windswept science fiction convention up by the coast. Um, I'm never quite sure how much of this Nick Nick remembers or whether I've sort of subtly implanted a false memory <laughs> um, yes. in, in, into his head. Um, it was up by the coast somewhere. I was... It was an old holiday school. camp, wasn't it? It was a holiday camp. It was profoundly sinister, wasn't it? Um, yes. Unintentionally. Yes. Um, I was a te- I was still in the, still in school, so it would have been 90... I was in the sixth form, 95, 96, something like that. He's much younger uh, than me. Yeah. I am. <laughs> All right. Um, and, um, well, yeah, that's... That, I wouldn't, not that much younger, actually, if you think about the ages, how old you would have been at the time, I think. Um, and I went along, and at the time you were involved in doing... Nick was involved in doing sort of science fiction videos um sometimes with a hint of crime as well often starring sort of doctor who alumni um and i was a big fan of these and have made my family sit through um multiple editions of this and i always wanted to be a writer and nick had written a lot of these dramas um including one in particular i always remember the air zone solution very good strong um script and i came along and as a sort of you know kind of slightly stereotypically certainly quite sort of you know um socially maladroit teenager and said you know i i really want to be a writer i love your scripts can you give me some advice um and nick's nick's advice has not really stayed with me but what did stay with me was actually how and and i realized later on as well was actually how kind nick was because you spent you must have spent 20 minutes with me 25 minutes with me chatting um and i always remember that and i did then go away and went to university and i always wanted to be a writer and i published a couple of novels um with actually for what it's worth quite a sort of doylean quality particularly the first one the somnambulist that was published 2005 i think and i published these and had sort of a little slither of success and i thought i'd love to do some audio um went along to big finish day nick was there um pretty much besieged i think by people but i did get a couple of minutes with you and just said you know big fan love what you're doing at big finish i'd love to be a part of it you know this is who i am we've met before um and these are the novels that i've I've published and you sort of uh, professional but backed away a little bit i think yes yes sure there was a table between us and you could see the security (laughs) staff Um, but until you gave me the books and i took them and then later on, I saw that they had, I think, what New York Times thing reviews on them or something. I thought, oh, hold on a sec. So I, yeah, I started reading the Somnambulist and thought, oh, this guy's the real deal. Oh, that's very kind. But then, yeah, you took them away and you, yeah, you saw that I was perhaps a good fit for for Big Finish. Um, and then we went from there, didn't we? Um, well, I there was the um, centenary of the uh, Titanic coming up. And I said... Uh, I want Big Finish to do something about that. And it seems to me that you have the right sensibility to write. So I said, any pitch me anything you like about the Titanic. It'll just be a one-off thing. So, and he pitched a Sherlock Holmes story called The Perfidious Mariner. He said, how about Sherlock Holmes? You do that. And that's how it's done. And that was so brilliant. He shamelessly pitched other Sherlock Holmes stories at the recording. And from then on, we just sort of thought, he's really good at this. So let's just get him to write them. And that's how it's stuck. Because every time he pitches something else, just on the tail end, you know. So I had to disappoint a lot of other writers that were sort of in the wings waiting to write Sherlock Holmes stories. And I thought, well, you know, (laughs) look at him wincing. Um, 
and in that old cliche, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I thought this is working really well. And we feel really confident about what Jonathan does. Um, so that's why we've continued with him. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And of course, we should note that uh, Big Finish began its Sherlock Holmes productions with David Stewart Davies' uh, mm. works. Of course, uh, there was the Roger Llewellyn uh, play, two, two plays uh, that yes. uh, David turned out for him, uh, Sherlock Holmes' The Last Act and uh, Sherlock Holmes' The Death and Life. Um, and then uh, Dave, one of other Dave, David's uh, pieces there, The Tangled, Tangled Skein. Skein. So yeah. uh, wonderful material from which to pull. And uh, there were four original uh, Conan Doyle uh, stories that Big Finish produced as well. You want to talk about those a little bit, Nick? Um, well, yeah, the, we did The Hound of the Baskervilles and uh, the, um, the Final Problem and the, the um, empty house e empty house the empty and the house. speckled band speckled band yes that was yes the speckled band we did one morning in the office <laughs> it was a very quiet <laughs> office but it turned out we did it as a little freebie but it, it turned out rather well actually and then i mean the hand of the baskervilles is a proper full-blooded uh, um uh, full cast drama adaptation by richard dinnick and the uh, the others are more or less just the text of the short stories um but with the uh you know with the the voices the character voices done by various different actors but it's still i think mostly they have the he said said he and and what have you in them as well not not all of them some of them have been slightly adapted but they're very they're they're completely faithful representations um so, uh, Jonathan, I want to go back to you and understand how you get your inspiration for all of these wonderful and different stories, these different settings in which we find Holmes and Watson. Where, where do you where do you draw your inspiration from? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, the you know the 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 only real answer is Doyle, isn't it? Um, you know, who is the great genius, really, under whose shadow we. We labour. I mean, just to backtrack a little bit, what Nick was saying about the the homes they did at the start of the range, um, which were kind of yeah a mixture of adaptations and of various sorts, really. And the, yeah, the stage play and the, the novel and so on. I mean, I remember. I think my pitch to you, Nick, very early on was to say, okay, well, why doesn't Big Finish do with Sherlock Holmes what it does with Doctor Who? You know, so you don't do you don't do new versions of old Doctor Who stories. Um, yeah. You find the gaps in Doctor Who, of which there are many, many gaps, of course. Um, and you you tell those stories in the gaps. And often, you know, it's, it's made sense of things on screen that haven't made sense for 30 years and more. Um, and I thought, well, let's do this. Let's do the same with with Holmes. Um, because, I mean, Hand the Brassfields is, is great and Big Finish's version is great. But there are so many other versions out there of that story and of all the others, really. Let's sort of go into the gaps. And that's where Doyle comes in. I mean, there is this sense, I think, um, and I don't know how, you know, where you guys stand on this really, but you know, this, this, you know, the claim that it was always a very sort of, um, minor creation to him. And, you know, he thought his spiritualist work would go on and his great historical novels, you know, the white company, all of that. I don't know. I always feel that, you know, he's, he's protesting a bit too much with that really, because there's so much love in those stories and so much strangeness as well. And they're full of gaps, they're absolutely full of gaps. And there is this sense, I think, um you know i've written sequels to other um stories as well a similar case of dracula um 
there is this sense that you know he's almost reaching out a hand and saying to the many hundreds of people hundreds and thousands of people who've come in the years since and saying yeah, let's fill in this gap look at this look at this story see are the possibilities that are here where are all the little links in the chain because so often in those stories you know i've said this before you know it's as though he's giving us you know these men's lives in negative you know we see we see some of the cases but there's all this stuff going on underneath so really i'm just sort of going in and away and finding these extra links in the chain and sort of excavating what's there i mean someone like watson's personal life for example is hinted at in the stories and has provided fuel for scholars of course for decades um how many wives are dr watson and all of that um we've got a wonderful dr watson um in richard earl and i've given him all this emotional stuff to to play and you know i'm sure nick would agree if he's absolutely you know hit it for six i think hasn't he every oh every and time. richard is lovely richard and i have a a great sort of working relationship and we don't we don't live near each other we don't hardly ever speak but every now and again when we go to do sherlock holmes i i contact him or he contacts me and then we spend three hours on the phone or on zoom or whatever talking so we we have a great uh warmth for each other you know and um and he is kind of dr watson richard i mean i cast him in the first place because i was thinking of all the actors i'd work with and i just thought i think richard early has that sort of quality that earnestness you know the thing that he has that um that watson doesn't have is is a a really um what's the word slightly self-deprecating and yeah and self harming sense of humor you know he is merciless about himself and has you know and sometimes you don't quite realize what he's said and you it, well, it takes me a couple of seconds to process and then i'm on the floor laughing my head off he, he yeah he's such a and he does such a brilliant job he has he has a fascinating voice i think and the two of us work so well together i, I really love it sorry i'm dinging i should have turned my <laughs> notifications off and while Nick turns his notifications off, it's our turn to notify you that here's a word from our sponsor. Arthur Conan Doyle wrote 22 novels. The one he thought his best is an adventure story of knights and chivalry. 20-year-old Alan Edrickson travels the world encountering bullies, con artists, thieves, a damsel in distress, and two men who become his closest friends. Together they join the White Company, archers and fighters led by the gallant Sir Nigel Loring. Will our hero win the hand of Loring's romantic daughter Maud? Will the chivalrous Prince Edward restore Peter of Castile to his Spanish throne? Published in 1891 and never out of print, The White Company is a tale of pageantry and piracy, heraldry and hope, published now in an exclusive, annotated edition with the original N.C. Wyeth illustrations in blazing color. Don't you owe it to yourself to read Conan Doyle's favorite book? Get the annotated White Company at wessexpress.com. You you mentioned this this wonderful working relationship you have together, and I think that's so important, particularly with icons like Holmes and Watson, who themselves are, uh, you know, very close working associates as well as friends. Um, 
talk to us a little bit about how the recording process has worked for you over the last two and a half years or so with the pandemic, when you may not be able to be in the studio together. How do you actually record and cut your your parts? Is it an active, uh, like a video call, or are you recording them separately? How does that all work? Well, we use a system called Clean Feed. Uh, when the pandemic came, uh, we'd been... Uh, I had for many years been uh, hosting the Big Finish podcast with my co-host Benji Clifford, and we did it talking on Zoom and recording locally, and then I would edit the two bits together, uh, sync them up and edit them together. And so initially I said, listen, guys, we can carry on with all of Big Finish. We'll do it this way. And we started doing it with Zoom. But the problem with Zoom is even though we're hearing each other okay at the moment, it's not brilliant quality. And so uh, it's difficult for the director to sort of pick up all the nuances of what how the lines are being delivered so i looked around all the available systems and clean feed seemed like the best one the best user interface and that means you can have multiple people online recording being recorded centrally on clean feed servers but we also have people record locally so it's the belt and braces thing so we get two versions of each separate recording of all the access so we're still able to record together and and um, react off each other. So it just becomes like a huge studio that embraces the entire, in this case of this production, the entire country. Sometimes with Doctor Who, it's encompassed the entire world. We have people in different countries, people getting up at four o'clock in the morning in Australia to record, you know. Um, so yeah, we, we did it through Clean Feed and then it all gets edited together. And uh, and as you can see here, I've got some good sound insulation behind me. Uh, and uh, and all around me here so that's what people did they they turned their houses and sheds and outside lavatories into uh studios <laughs> <laughs> well we love clean feed we actually yeah. use it for I many saw of you our nodding enthusiastically yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah uh some of our some of our uh guests have a little bit of technical difficulty getting connected and all but we we do we're, we're fans of it and we understand the audio quality so mm. glad to hear that yes yeah. Jonathan, um, you know, you mentioned earlier um, Conan Doyle's thinking about his own work. Um, you know, one of the things he always complained about was how difficult it was for him to come up with plots. And you've come up with some remarkable um, plots in the series of adventures you've written. How do you, what's your thinking about all that? And what's, and what's your thinking about, you know, as a writer, the... Um, the wonderful thing about the home stories is they they sort of always begin usually with this moment of of some sort of performance by Holmes. You know, there's a quiet scene in Baker Street, and Holmes comes up with a series of deductions. You know, in the first few minutes that that astonish Watson or whoever's there. You know, what's your thinking about all those those mechanics, the 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 Holmesian demonstrations, the difficulties of coming up with plots. Yeah, I mean, the, the demonstrations are very difficult to write. Um, very anyone. difficult to speak as well. <laughs> I would just say that Ken Bentley, the director, always pushes me to do them faster. He said, you're thinking too much. Holmes is so clever. He doesn't have to think. That's, by the way, sorry to interrupt for a moment. That, that's, by the way, the brilliant thing about playing Sherlock Holmes. It reminds me of, uh, you know, what uh, almost what Tom Baker says about playing the Doctor. It's great to play a character who is so incredibly clever, because of course I'm nowhere near as clever as that. 
but to to put yourself into the mindset of someone who, who has who sees the world in a different way, who sees the clues dancing around in front of me when other people just look at it and see mundanity. But, you know, and the way he's like a, a an arrow, you know, I often think he's so he's a sharp edge. And, and Watson is the shock absorber around him to sort of prevent him slicing into the world too harmfully. Sorry, Jonathan, back to you. <laughs> no, that's very true. I mean, it's, it's speed, isn't it? It's often the key, I think, yes. to, to Holmes, because he's all, um, I think Peter Cushing says something similar when he played Holmes, that he wanted to bring a sort of the energy of a greyhound or something to it. Um, Brilliant. That you've Brilliant. got that speed all the time. And then he will just stop. He will absolutely stop, won't he? And all that speed is gone and he will spend days, you know, in sort of some sort of melancholic state. You know, well, He's bipolar, isn't he? He's, yes, he kind of, he goes hyper and then, yeah. It's, it's hard uh, to think he wouldn't now have that sort of diagnosis, perhaps. Um, or maybe something else. I don't know. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a can of worms, I guess, isn't it? Yes. Um, but no, the, yeah, the demonstrations are hard to write and, you know, I mean, Doyle, yeah, Doyle did say that it was difficult. He also, Didn't he also famously write one before, in, in a morning, before going to play golf in the afternoon? I can't oh, remember he, which one. He wrote them at cricket matches. He wrote them on the railway. I mean, whenever the, the inspiration struck him, he just, he, he had his notebook with him and he scribbled it out. I'm yeah. a great one myself, not for Holmes, obviously. I don't, I'm not qualified to write it, but I write on the go. You know, and quite often I pass landmarks or places in London where I think, oh, that's why I wrote the bit where the doctor climbed up with that, you know, and I remember places by the things I wrote when I was there. That's great. So, uh, Jonathan, you you previously, uh, you know, wrote uh, books. Talk to us a little bit about adapting your style and your writing specifically for an audio audience. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously it's a different um it's a very different medium. Um, I, I mean, I love, I absolutely love writing, writing audio. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, you know, the most obvious challenge is that it, it's, it's just dialogue. With the Holmeses, of course, I cheat quite a lot because, you know, I want, I, partly because, not, not just because of laziness, but partly because I want that Watsonian voice in there. Um, and so often in, you know, any sort of movie adaptation, TV adaptation, you take that, you take Watson's voice out of it and it really alters the whole the whole dynamic. I mean, it's very interesting, isn't it? I think, you know, you watch Holmes on screen and quite often he's, you know, he comes across as unlikable or he comes across as very strange or or distant. And the stories are full of Watson softening him, aren't they? And saying, you know, you know, he he didn't he didn't love women, but he was always incredibly courteous to them. He could put people at their ease. You know, he had these flashes of humanity and softness and all of that. Um, so I wanted to retain that um, when we did these Holmes adaptations. And I think, you know, probably in the past, I've gone overboard in giving Richard great big swathes of stuff to, <laughs> to do. And it's been whole afternoons, I think, when Nick's has gone. Um, and I know it's Nick quite nice. I think I'm, there. Yeah. I'm playing the lead character, but I don't have to do all the heavy lifting. I just turn up for the exciting bits and Richard has got all that responsibility. It's a great deal. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I mean, just just using speech and sound effects is is difficult. And with the homes, is as I say, I do use the narration to give us a bit of that other that other texture. Otherwise, I mean, you know, goodness me, Nick has written um, hundreds of hours of of audio drama. And with the Doctor Who's, for example, I mean, the aim I think is is very much to have a kind of soundtrack. You know, this could be like a soundtrack off the television. 
Um, and the, you know, you've got to avoid those classic traps of, you know, why are you pointing a gun at me? Put it down. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. Is there a bomb in that suitcase and all of that sort of <laughs> expositional dialogue? Which which is which is really hard to do. You have you have to find other ways around it. But it's it's useful and it's 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 interesting, I think, because you you are kind of knowingly limiting your palette as a writer. And you know, that sort of restriction often creates interesting effects. Sometimes just bad dialogue, mm. but hopefully interesting effects. Well, you know, in the in the cases of Holmes, and you see this in other media, London and the environs are are frequently essentially a character. And you know, and you have that in the Hound of the Baskervilles, where the Moor and Dartmoor, yes, you know, is yes. a character. So, how do you approach that, Jonathan? I mean, do you? you just it seems like a very magical thing that you're able to do here to use this toolkit, these characters, to create you know, interesting new plots and, and put them in places where they haven't been and to fill in the gaps, you know, what's your, what's the, I don't want to say what's the process, but what's your, what's your thinking about making it live audio from an audio standpoint? I mean, there's sort of two things up there. I mean, from the, from the audio standpoint, you know, we should say it's, it's part of a fantastic team who've come back again and again and again. I mean, the sound designers at Big Finish, and I know actually it's been Benji, hasn't it, Nick, who's done the last couple yeah, Benji of, Clifford, of these. Yeah. Um, and Jamie Robertson has written the music pretty much for all of them, I think. Um, and I'm very aware that I'm handing over a, a template. You know, I'm an architect handing over the sort of, you know, the architectural plans for the building and the team are going to to build it. So, so much of the, you're right, you know, that, that presence of London or where, you know, wherever I send them, if they're in the countryside, um, all of that is conjured up by the sound design. And as you know, as Ken Bentley would tell you if he were here, my stage directions are very skimpy often, you know, I will just say kind of windswept more or, you know, busy London yeah. street, because, you know, I know that I'm putting it in the hands of people who are brilliant, much more knowledgeable than me about all of that stuff. Um, and the wonderful music as well, um, I think adds to that, that sort of background Definitely, sense. So yeah. that's the, that's the technical stuff. I mean, in terms of the, the actual stories, you know, I tend to think, yeah, let's like, let's find the gaps. And I've, written a lot of stories in the sort of gaps in the the canon you know very we did a very young homes um as nick will remember a few a few years ago we've done homes at the end of his life um the last three stories that we've done uh, master of blackstone grain seamstress of peckham rye fiends of new york city are always in that really interesting period turn of the century 1900 1901 um homes not far off retirement you know because we know he retires doesn't he um, not long after um probably the adventure of the creeping man um and then watson's also seemed to have picked up a new wife from somewhere doyle tells us um you know i abandoned Holmes says i was abandoned um by watson for a wife at this point um so i've really sort of dug down into that that sort of other underexplored area and found these men kind of in middle age um trying to sort of re-establish themselves in the world um mm. That's those are the gaps. Often, though, you know, you asked earlier where I start. I often start not with the puzzle, but with the emotional beats, you know, and it's 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 often Watson and it's often Holmes and ideally both of them together um, having some sort of emotional kind of, you know, don't want to sound too Hollywood, some sort of emotional journey or growth throughout the story. And once you've got that, that's your sort of bedrock. And then you add the puzzles and the mysteries on top. Well, before we get too far afield, let's pause here a moment and listen to a clip from Sherlock Holmes, The Fiends of New York City. From Big Finish Productions, 
Sherlock Holmes, the fiends of New York City. You do have a case then, or at least the glimmerings of one? Perhaps. Certainly not more than an hour ago, I received a communication of a decidedly curious kind. The message came from an American gentleman who sports the rather splendid name of Ephraim Gill. The truth is so grisly that I hardly know where best to begin. He means to call upon me imminently and to engage me, he says, upon a certain matter which has to do with the nature of evil itself. A wretched and savage business, don't you think? A dreadful and an infamous crime. A throat had been cut from side to side, and her face had been painted white all over. Poor woman. The work of a devil. <laughs> Give it up, man! <laughs> Worse even than that, Doctor, as we three sit here jawing and swapping theories, that fiend has settled into an apartment on Baker Street just a short walk along the way. Order! I will have order! Would the Prime Minister agree with me that this nation stands at present upon a point of crisis when it comes to all matters concerned with crime? There is some evil in that building, some treachery, which I do not at present understand. Sherlock, there is evil everywhere. Such is the nature of the world. But what I have to say to you might affect the very soul of our nation. I want a piece of information. I fear that I must upon this occasion, and with regret, decline your invitation. There you make the same mistake as so many others have before you. And what mistake might that be? To believe that I am offering you a choice. Big Finish for the Love of Stories. Hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, there's one more question I really need to ask you on, on, behalf sneak of, it in. on behalf of our listeners. Will, in the Big Finish pantheon, will Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Who ever meet? Well, there is a story, isn't there? I forget the name of now. You've done it. it. You've done it. Yeah, I know. All-consuming fire, it's called, isn't it? Based on uh, Andrew Lane's novel, Doctor Who novel. Yeah. So Ah. it meets the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy. So yeah, go to bigfinish.com and and type all-consuming fire into the search pane at the top and you'll find it. It was was great fun to do that. Um, We'll have a link directly to that uh, production in our show notes for our listeners. So make sure you check that out. Speaking of connections between Doctor Who and Sherlock Holmes, Nick, I would imagine you are aware that Tom Baker has inhabited both roles. Indeed. And I, I Tom, wonder if, if you had yeah. seen his BBC uh, uh, production, his BBC portrayal of Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Um, Tom and I have discussed Sherlock Holmes a lot over the years, and he always says, yes, that's a part I failed in twice. Because <laughs> uh, he also played it on stage. Um, uh, where in a tour, and I think he did, I think it went around Ireland or something because he said, um, this is a terrible anecdote to tell actually, but he said, there's a bit where it's Holmes and Moriarty are like the same character in it. So there was a switch between the two all the time. And he said at one point when he was on stage doing something, he said he heard someone in the audience saying, is it himself or himself? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> That's one of Tom's anecdotes. Don't blame me. Um, but yeah, he he. Um, I mean, I don't think I haven't gone back and watched the the Hound of the Baskervilles that Tom did for the BBC. But I remember being quite disappointed at it about it at the time. And I don't think Tom is a great champion of it, from what I've already told you. But I wouldn't go as far to say as I agree with his assessment, because that would just be rude. But I remember somehow Tom stripped out all all the essential Tomness when he played the part. You know, he thought, I'm not going to do it like that. And it it was so subdued. And I think that um, the thing that's so appealing about Sherlock Holmes for me is as a character with real angles. He fires off in different directions so suddenly and so directly. I love that energy. You know, I'm sorry, I'm getting into it as I'm, I'm speaking. You know, I just adore that. And it, and I, but it's a part you have to really do your homework on because, you you know, I remember when I was, the, I, when I did the first performance of Holmes and the Ripper on stage at the Theatre Royal Nottingham, it was weekly rep. So I'd only had four and a half days to rehearse. And by the time I got to the second, I got through the first performance on adrenaline. But when I got to the second night, I didn't quite have the energy. And there were several points where I just couldn't maintain the energy. And, and I and I almost fell over several times because I, I was so cross with myself. I get through something and I just go, I don't, you know, you just think this is not working. If I do it slowly, it, it doesn't work. It needs to fire out like a precision dart. So I got carried away. Yeah, no, that's that's great. <laughs> But look, I think there's an interesting um, kind of uh, difference between Holmes and Watson. I mean, we've we've often remarked that Watson is every man. Watson is an imprint of who we are as we read the Sherlock Holmes stories or or watch or listen to the Sherlock Holmes stories through Watson's eyes, through Watson's experience. So when you think about portraying Holmes, you know, how much do you have to think of the audience? How much do you have to think of yourself that you bring to the character and kind of, uh, you know, break the glass, as it were, to make sure you're reaching those people? Well, um, to answer it a different way, one of the things I love about doing this is because, as Jonathan mentions, I'm the executive producer of Big Finish, the creative director, so I'm responsible for all the creative output. I have a lot of admin to do, a lot of producer, a lot of grown-up boring stuff. And the brilliant thing about this is that I can come along and largely, unless something pops into my head and say, or oh, can I just say as executive producer, and everyone goes, mm -hmm. um, uh, I can largely uh, get rid of all those responsibilities for myself and just focus on the parts and um, indulge myself in that fantasy and convince myself that I am the cleverest person in the world and be very direct and imagine that I can see things in a way that no other human being can. Um, so it's the way I approach playing any part, even the Daleks, even, you know, they're very direct. They always just want to kill people uh, or do bad stuff. There's a similarity in all my acting that I just, I want to immerse myself in the extremities of the, the role, the extremeness of the role, not quite the same thing, I guess. Um, so I don't, I, I hope that my, training and ability as an actor and experience as an actor takes care of how it communicates to the audience but i'm i'm in the moment and i'm believing it 
until we finish the scene. And then my behavior is appalling. And uh, Richard and I laugh outrageously about stuff, <laughs> don't, don't we, uh, Jonathan? I think when you build up such a head of steam, it's um, it's inevitable, you know, when you finish and psh, the steam blows off, as it were. And also one of the loveliest things about it is that Holmes is adored by Watson. And I fool myself that I'm adored by Richard Earle. You know, he, he soon persuades me otherwise after the recording. But so I feel in a very safe space. So I feel that I can really throw myself into it. Well, I think it, it shows certainly in oh, the productions. You. And um, hey, just uh, by way of a suggestion, maybe an outtakes reel would be something the fans <laughs> would really enjoy. I think there have been some in some contexts on the extras. The trouble is it just makes us all sound completely incompetent. <laughs> we, we don't want to pull the veil back yeah, entirely. Yeah, we don't right? want the truth to get out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nicholas Briggs, Jonathan Barnes, thank you so much for joining us here on I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. The latest production of Big Finish is Sherlock Holmes, The Fiends of New York City. Uh, you can find it on bigfinish.com. Of course, we have links to that in the show notes. But again, thank you both for being here. Well, that was a lot of fun. Well, it's fabulous. You know, and the work that Big Finish has done, the audiobooks, the collections, um, you know, it's it's there's so much to talk about when you talk about both Doctor Who and Sherlock Holmes because both continue forever. Both are always bringing in new generations when they discover the characters. But also there's so many untold stories for both. And if you go to the Big Finish website, bigfinish.com, you can see all of the audiobooks, you know, that have brought back actors like Tom Baker and, and uh, others and Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy and give you these new adventures. And it's the same sort of thing that's going on for Sherlock Holmes. And it's, uh, it's wonderful. And the quality, you know, of, of uh, in general, of, of British audio work, uh, but in particular, the big Finnish materials, it's just fabulous, the sound design. Yeah, I, and I think that's, uh, you know, a, akin to what we talked about in episode 245 with, uh, with Charlie about uh, Moriarty on Audible. You know, this, this high production level really, and, and, and we saw this too with, uh, or heard it as well with Burt Cools in the BBC radio series. It, it, mm. It's more than just a reading. It's more than just a script or uh, reading a story. This, this sound design, uh, the, the atmospheric setting, uh, it really helps to uh, place you in the action and to feel uh, the emotions of the characters a lot more deeply than you would simply because you're immersed in it. So I think Big Finish does a really, really marvelous job with it. The MX Book of New Sherlock Holmes Stories is the world's largest collection of new traditional Sherlock Holmes stories with all author royalties going to the Undershaw School for Children with Learning Disabilities. And as of the end of June 2022, these authors have raised over $100,000 for Undershaw 
That donation, which continues to rise, has been gifted from the royalties of all of the stories coming from the MX book of new Sherlock Holmes stories. The deep partnership between Undershaw and MX Publishing has spanned a number of years and has witnessed many changes. Undershaw, of course, was the house built for Arthur Conan Doyle in order to accommodate his wife's health requirements, and it's where he lived from, with his family from 1897 to 1907. While he was there, he would have worked on The Return of Sherlock Holmes and The Hound of the Baskervilles. And that continues now with the MX book of new Sherlock Holmes stories, now up to part 23, under the capable editorial guide of David Markham. Congratulations to our friends at MX Publishing on reaching the $100,000 mark in their support of Undershaw. As you continue to show interest in the MX book of new Sherlock Holmes stories, MX Publishing will continue to be able to support Undershaw and all that it offers those beacons of the future. Check out the MX book of new Sherlock Holmes stories at mxpublishing.com. It's everybody's favorite quiz show in the Sherlockian world. That's right, it's Canonical Couplet, where we give you two lines of poetry, and we ask you to use your ratiocinative deductive abilities to determine which Sherlock Holmes story we are, in fact, talking about. Now, if you were with us here in the last episode, episode 246, you'll recall that we gave you this clue. Losing two secretaries might put you off your feed, but lose the third? That's carelessness indeed. Bert, can you tell us which Sherlock Holmes story we're talking about? Oh, of course I can. That's one of the espionage cases. That's the story about the spy who hid secrets in candies that were the size of a belly button. That's the case Watson called the Adventure of the Naval Sweetie. Oh, I'm sorry. On behalf of all of our listeners, I'm terribly, terribly sorry. Uh, that's not what we were looking for. We're going to turn to our friend Eric Deckers, who's always good at helping out in these conundra. Uh, he says, I've got it. The story of the murder of Willoughby Smith is called The Adventure of Willoughby Damned. Willoughby <laughs> Damned. That's pretty good, Eric. No, he says, wait, that's not it. It's the man with the golden pince No, that's not it either. The actual name is the adventure of the golden pince Yes, that is correct, Eric. The golden pince is what we were looking for. And lots of other people uh, knew that we were looking for the golden pince as well. So why don't we turn to our friend, the big prize wheel, and give it a big spin. And we'll see who the lucky winner is this time around. Okay, landing on number, my goodness, 44. It's one of the highest that we've had yet. And let's see, number 44 looks like it corresponds to uh, Madeline Quinones. 
Madeline, congratulations. Good to hear your name here again. Uh, keep being a, 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 a guesser, a, a, um, a participant. That's how you win, folks. Uh, everybody who submits a, a, um, a correct entry has an opportunity to win. So, And we do this completely randomly. So there are names that come up again and again. Uh, we can't apologize for that. We can only thank you for participating. So thank you, Madeline. Uh, and what do we have as a prize for Madeline? What did we promise the last time around, Bert? Uh, we were... new, I think it was a new Bentley. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what it was? Our friend Ross Davies from uh, oh, the, right, the right. Uh, British Empire promised a, uh, was a registration packet yes, uh, yes. to uh, our our listeners. And Madeline actually wrote in, interestingly enough, and thanked us for... Uh, doing this show because uh, she said she hadn't been able to attend in person, and this was the next best thing. Having your wonderful descriptions, Bert, and uh, your your capturing of the the sound of some of the presentations and of the presenters as well. Oh, that's very gratifying. Thank you, Madeline. Yeah. Well, we will get that prize off to you, Madeline. So stay tuned, and I guess that means it's time for another of our canonical couplet so let's get into it to switzerland then germany then montpellier the swarthy workers cudgel rescued watson from the fray if you know the let's try this again If you know the story we are looking for here, put it in an email addressed to comment at IHearOfSherlock.com with canonical couplet in the subject line. If you are among all of the correct answers and we choose your name at random, you'll win. Good luck. And I suppose we would uh, do well to once again dive into the Wonderful coffers of the IHO's vault. We have a lot of things to choose from now, thanks to our friend Tony Katroki, who has been donating items to the I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere prize vault. So thank you for that, Tony. And uh, it will be a mystery prize, keeping in the spirit of a Sherlockian podcast. <laughs> well, Bert, we seem to have really done just about as much damage as we can around here. I, I suppose we'll... We'll leave folks to hear the damage we do on our other show, on Trifles. If you haven't started listening to that yet, there are now almost six complete seasons. We are rounding the corner on 300 episodes on Trifles. So check that out wherever you get podcasts. Just look for Sherlock Holmes Trifles and join us there for a weekly discussion of some of the more, well, trifling issues in the Sherlock Holmes stories. In the meantime, I am the non-trifling Scott Monty. And I'm the generally completely unserious Burt Wolder. <laughs> and together we say the, the games, games of foot. foot. <laughs> <laughs> the, the games, games of foot. I'm afraid that in the pleasure of this conversation, I'm neglecting business of importance, which awaits me elsewhere. Thank you for listening. 
Please be sure to join us again for the next episode of I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere, the first podcast dedicated to Sherlock Holmes. Goodbye, and good luck, and believe me to be, my dear fellow, very sincerely yours, Sherlock Holmes. 